So we finally come down from the arches of Wembley to dissect the chess-like breakdown that was the FA Cup final and ask if Conti's done, how many others are about to get woven up in the Premier League managerial merry-go-round? We've Scottish Cup finals, FA Vars finals and Buffon, full stop, or is it for him? There'll be tears. That's all coming up on the Totally Football Show. Welcome to the Totally Football, almost totally absent of football, but we'll do our best show. James is still playing with his toy trains, so you've got me today. I'm joined by Ian Irvin from Premier League TV, who's just actually told us he can stick two fingers up his nose at once, up one nostril, not just up both nostrils. And Michael Cox, author of The Mixer, who sat there thinking, what have I let myself in for? And Sasha Gurinov, the Russian with a Scouse accent, or is it the other way round? Either, to be honest, works. Yeah, a little bit of both. (laughs) Let's start with the greatest FA Cup final I've witnessed in my lifetime. Uh, Liverpool-West Ham 2006 at the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about that one instead. Yeah, yeah that was great. Should we, just, should we just do that one? Uh, the weekend, Wembley, Saturday. I mean, it happened, Sash, and, and you were there. Uh, at halftime, I was sort of regretting being there uh, because... Um, something I was completely struck by was the uh, was the use of Herrera as the third centre back. Has Mourinho done this before? On Hazard, yes. On Hazard, yes. So yes. this was specific Hazard, but I've seen him play against Hazard before, but I didn't see it so basically so blatant. Yeah. Um, and I think this basically made the United play very very negative, and this is why the first half was absolutely turgid. And again, one moment of brilliance was from Hazard. The first touch past Jones was wonderful, but the rest of the first half was so forgettable. It wasn't even. Herrera man marking that got me. It was Lingard man marking that got me. He was he was man marking on Golo Kante. Like you've got three attacking players on the field, and one of them's man marking their defensive midfielder. So I'm not surprised that United struggled to express themselves in the first half. Mourinho will do what Mourinho does, and he'll say the things afterwards. And it's been proved once again that everyone's debating now him talking about Lukaku and him talking about this and him talking about that, but. Uh, it felt to me like Saturday was the day where a lot of Manchester United's fans sort of began to think, well, hang on a minute, we've heard a lot of this now. We've heard a lot of the, the same sort of things being said. And actually, we don't want him sacked or anything like that. However, next year now has to be the year. that There cannot be any more excuses. You can argue about the progress or improvement and whatever that looks like. You know, second place, the highest finish since Alex Ferguson, but no silverware. Um, a brand of football that a lot of fans are not particularly pleased with. Um, lack of progress in certain individual players, fan favourites like Rashford and Martial, not in favour, not improving, or so it seems. Mm. And I think next year now has to be the year where that changes. That that cannot be. This time next year, we cannot be saying the same type of things. You cannot be looking at it and saying, well, we finished six in the league, we won the Europa League and we won the, the League Cup. That's OK. We finished second in the table, didn't win any silverware. That's OK. I think United fans need to be saying we are happy because this team has properly challenged for the Premier League title, if not won it, properly challenged in the latter stages of the Champions League, if not won it. And actually... The general feel of being a Manchester United fan, those fans need to feel better about their football team. Michael, that, I mean, that's the feeling. They don't feel better about their football team at, at the moment. They kind of don't know the tactics of Mourinho or at least how to make him happy, which makes the team happy, which makes the fans happy. Yeah, it was quite negative for Mourinho on Saturday. Um, I think I'm on my own here, but I actually quite enjoyed that game. I thought it was reasonably interesting. Um I'm not quite sure what people want from FA Cup finals, really. I mean, I think people have become so accustomed to this really high-tempo pressing style that some other teams are playing. But that game on Saturday is basically how football game is, uh, you know, what a football game is like. There was an early goal. It meant United had to come back into the game. Chelsea played on the break. United had two good chances with Rashford and Pogba. Chelsea had a chance on the break from Alonso. If you look at the kind of expected goals, it was pretty much as you'd expect for an FA Cup final. Players just didn't take the chances. I mean... Yeah, I mean this in all seriousness. If if you didn't like that game on Saturday, I'd give a lot of the World Cup a miss. Really? Because, because international teams don't play this high-pressing style like, you know, like Klopp does that people have really enjoyed this season. Everyone sits back. It's quite slow tempo. It's very tactical. You know, a lot of games will be decided by one goal. I honestly dread to think what people are going to make of the World Cup. We want Cup. Cup final, don't we? We, we want that, that ability in a football match to sit there and go, yes, everyone's going for it. They're given everything. They're throwing but, cautions but, at the But wind. I'm not sure that ever really happens in Cup finals. Cup I finals agree. usually are tight and tense. I agree. And, and it w- don't get me wrong, it would have been really disastrous, I think, 
had it been 0-0 at half-time, and it would have been like that game in 2007 between the sides, which was dreadful. But there was an early goal here, and it meant there was tension. United had to come into it. We saw some of their failings, no question. Um, and they missed, uh, I think they missed Lukaku from the outset, and I didn't think he looked particularly fit when he came on. But I didn't think it was a dreadful game by any means. I just think, okay, one thing, I think Euro 2016 has shown us that European fo- uh, that international football can be really boring. So I, my expectations of the World Cup aren't particularly great. But also, you know, approaching a cup final when in advance we know that this isn't going to be a great game of football. I mean, it's, I mean where do you get your enthusiasm from? I mean, given... Given how Chelsea set up and given how United set up, particularly when Chelsea went 1-0 up, I saw Chelsea go 1-0 up against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. And I think that's when they sort of practiced this very defensive formation whereby they should be able to protect the lead. And I saw the banks of five, I saw a three and a couple of guys running in front of them. And I was just thinking, United really struggled to get through this. However, credit to United, they managed to create those chances in the second half. I was really puzzled that Rudiger got man of the match because I thought he was failing there, basically, when, for example, for the Rashford chance, I don't think he was anywhere near. And before then, he, he, he was also not Around. I particularly did enjoy, of course, the Hazard performance. I think you know this was this was great to watch that that type um, type of player again. You know, he's up against Mourinho. You know, past his chance and, and and everything. I thought um, he he was he really had a really good performance. But then to sum up the whole disappointment is the um, Pogba miss. Um, it's... I actually think it goes against maybe what I was saying before. But as a, an isolated ninety minutes, I, I don't think considering the way that Jose Mourinho wants United to play and, and the way he sets them up in these sort of matches, I don't think United actually played that badly, really, over the course of the 90 minutes. They created enough chances to to get something from the game, at least get back in the game after Eden Hazard had gone in front, because this is what Mourinho wants. This is the style of game and the style of football that he wants. So actually, we're talking about chances that they had. That's that's what he would want. He, he'd want the game to be tight. He'd want it the scores to be level, even, around that and to try and stay in the game and, and wait for a moment to be able to, to win the match. That's what he does in those type of matches. And yet, Brian Woods asks, is Jose too stubborn to change his tactics? Can he swallow his enormous pride and admit the club is bigger than him? Also, what signings can you see United targeting to, to move it forward to then? Did you see tactical changes from him? Did you see him change anything in that game to try and make things happen? Yeah, but I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about the way he is as a person and his philosophy or, you know, for want of a better phrase, because that is really overused, isn't it? But I think he's talking about will Jose Mourinho put out football teams with, you know, giant amounts of attacking flair and throw caution to the wind and and not think about man marking other player other teams' defensive midfielders. And I, and I don't think he will change. I don't I don't really see why he has to change either. This is what he is. This is why he's been successful over this number of years. If that doesn't fit with the way that some Manchester United fans want, then that, I don't think that will change unless the manager changes. This is what he does. don't really understand why this is such an issue for Manchester United. I mean, they played this way for much of the latter periods under Ferguson, particularly in Europe, but also in big games domestically. I remember that uh, the first season that City won the, the title, they went to the Etihad and played the most negative football I've ever seen Manchester United play. You know, they had Sung man marking Yaya Toure. I don't think they had a shot on target. Unless something massive has changed in the grand scheme of football over the last five years, I don't really understand why Mourinho doesn't fit into United's identity. I think it's quite a good fit. The problem is Pep Guardiola's taken 100 points at Manchester City this mm. season and Liverpool are in the Champions League final and have a chance of adding to their haul and going further ahead of Manchester United. I think that's I think that's sort of intensified the mm. scrutiny. My issue with the whole debate is it's either really extreme to the left or really extreme to the right. You're either having to defend Mourinho to the hills or you're having to completely and utterly question him and 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 believe that he's no good and he's you know he needs to go and all this sort of stuff. So I think it's okay to be somewhere in the middle. I think it's okay to say it's not quite right yet, but he deserves more time to be able to to sort things out. They're going to spend money in the summer. We know that for a fact. That it's shown that over recent years. They're looking at full-backs, they're looking at a central defender, they're looking at a central midfielder, they're looking at a right winger as well. A lot of money will be spent this summer and it'll be interesting to see which players leave as well because I think in terms of changes in the squad, mm. you're going to see something like what happened at City last year, which was five players in, something like eight or nine first-teamers out. There will be a big overhaul, I think, at United this summer. That is kind of what I was going to say, but with more of an Essex accent. I know, Sasha, you want to say a bit more, but I do want to talk about Chelsea. And also, if you can fit it in at some stage, there was a brilliant tweet from Justin Bryant. He said, Phil Jones is like a vending machine improperly tied down in the bed of a pick 
pickup truck with three flat tyres driving on a bumpy road. And uh, we should be looking forward to him going to Russia and seeing how poorly he achieves with England. You can bring Phil Jones into it if you wish, or you can just move us on to Chelsea. I was just trying to... Trying to imagine this in my head, and I honestly couldn't. <laughs> Just imagine <laughs> Phil Jones and you there. No, but I mean, I think Phil Jones, for the first goal, he gets beaten by just a beautiful touch and just gets wrong side. So I don't really have much of a problem with him there, to be honest. But in terms of Chelsea, I mean, they they played like an old-school Chelsea there for me. I mean, basically kept it very tight, 5-3. Um, that was, this is what they're still able to do. Um and unfortunately for say for Manchester United, this is a, this was a game of margins that maybe ten years ago would have gone Mourinho's way, uh, and now it didn't. And I think this, he bemoaned this after the game, I believe. Um, and again, back to you know what's changed in the last five years, as as Ian said, the game's changed. I think the expectations have changed. If 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 United plays like this, I don't know six, seven, eight years ago, mm. I don't think anyone really has much of a problem. But because they've seen the evolution, they. People are beginning to uh, expect a bit more. In terms of where does Chelsea go from here? Well, it's whatever happens behind the scenes. It seems to be a general understanding that there is no way Conte can survive. And that way, it was, for me, the cup final was slightly weird because a bit like Van Gaal when he wanted to the United, when everyone knew he was leaving anyway. So At least he got to the end of the football match before everyone <laughs> yeah, yeah, knew that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> did, you, did you hear these comments from him afterwards when he talked about, I can't change my ways, always the same, which seems to sound like someone saying to him, right, if you change and you, you do this, you can stay. Well, of course, he's up against Granovska. Of course, she wants him to change and bend him in the way that she wants him to be because, you know, she... Um, you know, she wields a lot of power uh, where, where she's at. But I think this is where the issue goes back to Emanalo leaving because he would have been that slight, uh, what do you call it, a lightning rod in between those two. Mm. Um, but um, I just think it's very hard for Conte and Granovska to work together. And uh, it seems to be that, you know, it's not going to be Conte who wins that particular contest. Um, it, but in, in terms of how Chelsea have done this season, I mean, there was that little revival until the Liverpool game, but they just left it too late. Um, and they, uh, it's, I don't know, it didn't feel to me um, on Saturday that this was like a triumph. It was a victory, yeah. But then the manager spends most of the post-match press conference explaining why he's going to be there, why, why he maybe should stay and that he's a serial winner. It's just odd. He's, I mean, Conte's not going to resign, is he, Michael? But he's going to get pushed. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's how, that's how it will play out. Um, I mean, just to go back to what Sasha said about the style, I think one of the reasons Chelsea have won so much over the last 10 years, of course, the money has played a, a small part, <laughs> but also because they're probably the only big side in England whose fans haven't convinced themselves that they have a grand style of playing football and they don't mind winning ugly. And they do win in that Italian way, basically, not just because it's Conte, but defending deep three centre-backs, heading it away. They're happy to do that, um, which is, you know, t- to go back to the earlier point, Except football has changed over the last five years. And if that's what United fans are saying, you know, Mourinho's uh, methods are now outdated, fair enough. But I just don't get this. It doesn't fit into the tradition of Manchester United, which I think is a slightly separate argument. I don't think they are outdated, to be honest. I think it's just different. You know, I I get it. And I understand Sasha's probably in this room the biggest sort of supporter of it. I I get why people will look at what Pep Guardiola's done and look at, to a lesser extent, what Jurgen Klopp is achieving this year in terms of getting Liverpool to the final um, and even in a way, Pochettino, even though I think that's a slightly different argument, but in terms of style and, and so on. But Jose Mourinho in the last year has won two trophies last year. He's taken Manchester United to second place this year. He's finished above Liverpool and Tottenham in the Premier League table. He's got them to the FA Cup final within one goal of adding another piece of silverware. So to say that it's completely outdated, is that not going over the top a little bit he's actually still achieving things maybe fans want more maybe there are question marks about how he's achieved it however he is still achieving things it's not like he's gone there and finished seventh and won nothing Mm. he is still achieving things so to say it's completely outdated I don't think it is someone used the analogy with a Newcastle fan Newcastle fans go along regardless of of what the result is they just want to see a 3-3 they don't mind seeing a 4-3 they want to see value for money for their season ticket I don't know if I always buy that but if you've got a season ticket Sash and you're sat there watching it the whole season you want to see a bit of entertainment don't you? Yeah, I mean you do, but at the same time you want to. If you watch it as a fan, you want to win. Yeah, um, course, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's down to the neutrals. As a neutral, perhaps I wouldn't watch United, but I would watch City. But if I'm a City or a United fan, do I care? Probably not that much. As long as, as long as they as long as they're winning. Actually, one one point I was going to make. You know, United's approach against Spurs in the semi final was much more positive hmm. than it was against Chelsea. For me, Spurs are probably a better team. 
that's why I found another reason I found the approach in the final to be slightly odd. Maybe is it the fear of Azar? Is it because he knows Azar so well? Is it? It is seems it to because he always does yes. this. He always has a special plan for Hazard mm. in a way that maybe he doesn't for say any of the Tottenham players. But another thing in the last like month or two, United have beaten Chelsea, they've beaten Manchester City, they've beaten Tottenham, they've beaten Liverpool. You know, to say that Mourinho is a failure or it's it's not. It, like I'm saying before, these these extremes mm. between him being a genius or him, him being completely finished, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle for the moment, and I, I think that's okay. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Well, if the, if the rumours to be believed, he'll have to get used to Hazard perhaps across town at City. Who knows where he might end up? Bushido at the Totally Show asks Chelsea supporter here. Aside from relegation struggles, looking for any kind of bounce, even short term, why do so many clubs sack managers without knowing who the replacement is going to be? How do they know the Next guy is better without knowing who it is. If Conte's on his way out of Chelsea, do Chelsea already have the plan, Michael, as to who comes in? Well, I'm not sure Chelsea do. And I think the situation with Conte is clear that there's personal tensions involved. I mean, to answer the question directly, I'm not sure clubs do generally sack their managers without knowing who they're going to get anymore. I think I think it's become clear now that they do make that contact well before they get someone else in. Um, but no, Chelsea are quite a peculiar situation because I just think it's it's not working out personally with Conte. So they're going to have to scramble around to find someone, which I think might be Luis Enrique. Um, seems the obvious choice. But uh, yeah, it's a funny situation at Chelsea. Hold that managerial thought because someone said maybe 11 Premier League managers could be on their way or sorted out come this summer. I wonder who that someone was. I might lay the blame at one of your feet. But the other... Cup finals this weekend. Celtic beating Motherwell 2 0 in the Scottish Cup final. Who wants to take Brendan head on and say what a, a god he is amongst football managers? Well, he's done a very good job again. I mean, three times in a row he's, he's done exceptionally, I think. Getting Swansea promoted into the Premier League, establishing them as a Premier League force, taking Liverpool really from the, the fringes of the European places to very nearly winning the title. And people treat that as a failure, whereas I think just to be in the picture was, was a great achievement. And now what he's done at Celtic, which, you know, OK, it's, uh, there's not too much competition for them, but to win everything going twice twice in a row, I think that's difficult, maybe not so much tactically or technically, but to instil the, the desire and the winning mentality in players who are probably able to coast, you know, mm. for much of the season. I don't think they've been doing that. And I think it's, it's only right, really, that people are talking about him, should he want to move on. Um, with a really big job in the Premier League for a second time. But then he'd be swerving Stephen Gerrard, although he did swerve the Stephen Gerrard question again, because how we want to ask him that at the weekend, said maybe we should just be all concentrating on, on Aberdeen and Derek McInnes finishing second and what a great job he's done. He'd stay around for that little bit of rivalry though, won't he? I would have thought so, yeah. I think you make a great point there about challenging these players to be able to ensure there is no complacency, to ensure that you have that consistency going forward. I spoke to Pep Guardiola uh, before the final game at Southampton and already he was, sort well, because I asked him about it, but already he was thinking about that next season and about what will these players come back like? What will these players return with their crowns still on their heads? still celebrating the fact that they've taken 100 points and mm. and that they've won the, the Premier League title, they've won the Carabao Cup, or will they come back hungry with the desire to do it all over again? And Vincent Kompany's said this so many times over the years. He's, his biggest disappointment at City is that he's never been able to defend a Premier League title because he sees that as, as really the, the model of what City need to be and what they should be. He's looked at other teams during the Premier League era who have done that and he sees them as the truly great sides, the ones that have been able to defend the title and come back year on year and prove themselves all over again. And that's that's a credit to Brendan Rodgers that he's been able to do that at Celtic. And, and it'd he's be now got nothing to prove then? Well, I don't, I don't think so, no. Um, but maybe he needs to do something in Europe with Celtic, despite the fact there's a huge financial gap. But I think he probably should try to do better than getting hammered. As he has been for the last two seasons, but I, but I do realise there is a huge financial gap between what what he is and what what he faces in Europe. I mean, I think that then becomes the problem tactically, doesn't it? Not just for Celtic, but for sides like Basel, for example, who actually haven't won the league this year, but had done I think seven years in a row, week in week out in their domestic league, they're playing against a deep defence. The the coaching throughout the week is all going to be about how you break that down. Mm. Then they get into the Champions League, they play Barcelona or Bayern, and they're sitting on the edge of their own box and have to counterattack. I think getting around that and adapting that. You know, not to mention playing against such more difficult opposition is really quite difficult for managers. 
Sasha, Michael and Ian on the Totally Football Show. Andrew says, a wee word for Livingston, please, who've taken the Rangers route on far less. From the third division, almost liquidated, to winning their place in the SPL. David Hopkin, a manager to watch. Promotion after 12 years for Livingston as well. It had been a few dark days for them, but they're back and coming through too with some young fans as well. If you read any of the, the blogs, they talk about the young supporters coming through who are going to guide them through the next step. Wasn't the only game at Wembley, the FA Cup at the weekend. Brackley beating Bromley on penalties in the FA Trophy. Anyone watch that? Non-league finals yeah, I saw the saw extra time in penalties. Big day in the FA Vars to over 30,000 rock up to Wembley to watch both those matches back to back. I'm hoping for a National League treble if we can make it happen at Wembley. This isn't breaking news. It probably won't happen. But to have three games at Wembley in one day. I mean, if you're the groundsman, you're sticking two fingers up to me, right? But, <laughs> but what a joy that would be. Yeah, no one's well, sharing they did that. Three, it was three in 24 hours of the weekend, wasn't it, with the FA Cup final included? So clearly I can take it at the end of the season. I think on- that's a really good idea because, you know, you don't want an empty stadium, do you? It doesn't reflect well on any on anyone. And to expect these type of teams to be able to fill you know, a national stadium is unrealistic. However, six teams, three games, back-to-back, people can dip in and out. You know, I think that's a really good idea. You, me, national promotional finals, I'm, I'm going to make it happen. Only if I can say it first. Uh, shall we talk managers? Yeah. Yeah. Yay. All right, after this. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply, max £10 bonus per person per week, specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org and when the fun stops, stop. More football later on then. Uh, We've kind of already taken the detour to discuss managerial changes with Chelsea and Conte and what happens there. Arsenal, Arteta seems to be on his way in. Jack Wilshere's then going to stay because all's happy and all's rosy. The right move if it happens, Michael, for Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, we did a bit of a special Wenger tribute show and uh, I said I thought Arteta would be the best option. And I'm pleased that Arsenal's board have uh, listened to this podcast and agreed with me. Yeah, uh, look, I think Arteta's really got the potential to be a great coach. I don't think it's by any means a certainty. But as I said before, I think Arsenal in a situation where they basically need to take a risk. I mean, uh, you know, if they were still in a, you know, sec- if they just finished second or third in the league, they'd maybe want a safe pair of hands to come in um, and just maintain their course. Someone like Ancelotti, for example. But now I'm not sure Arsenal are going to slip too much below where they are at the moment, to be honest. So even if it is disastrous for Arteta, it doesn't really matter. And there's a very good chance that Arteta actually will be a very good coach. He's basically in the in the mould of what's gone before, but I think has got the attention to detail that Wenger lacked really over the last decade. And I think it's, it would be a good appointment. Do you think Arteta might be a little bit too familiar? Maybe some someone needs to come in completely from the outside to actually change the place. I'm not convinced personally. Um, I I think there's a danger of Arsenal throwing the baby out with the bathwater to a certain extent. I think that the general course they were on with Wenger was broadly good, but clearly Wenger, in terms of the tactics, I think he he, he wasn't doing enough day to day. Arteta was a big figure in the Arsenal dressing room, but was actually slightly not unpopular. But Arsenal's players found him annoying because he was bossy. And he did tell players things that maybe you don't expect of the captain, you expect of the manager. The manager wasn't doing that, so the captain was basically taking that role on. So, I mean, it is a it is a concern. You know, we've seen it elsewhere when someone's gone straight to being from being player to manager. But to a certain extent, Arsenal's squad has actually changed quite a lot over the last couple of years. There's a lot of players there who actually won't have played alongside Arteta, of course, partly because he missed his last season through injury as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a slight concern. It is a risk, but I think it's a good appointment. Have you chatted much to him, Ian, with your work at, at Man City? He's not allowed to speak to the media because he's in Guardiola's backroom staff. They don't, they're not allowed to do any interviews at all. Are you surprised by that? Um, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> when you've spent a little bit of time sort of um, covering the way that Guardiola does things, uh, no, I'm not surprised. City have magnificent amounts of media to do on a weekly basis and um, the question always is is this contractual Um, and a lot of the time it's contractual things that that are prioritised because they have to be and that doesn't always leave a lot of time for many other things Um, and I think that's just part of Guardiola keeping the inner circle tight keeping the secrets in house and and all that in terms of Arteta one thing for me what do Arsenal now expect the next manager to do are they are they hoping that they're going to have another 
not another Wenger because you're not going to have someone who's there for 22 years, are you? But another sort of dynasty builder. Or you're going to have someone who comes in, shakes things up, makes his team successful again and, and changes things around. That, for me, and it's only applying what I saw at Manchester United, it, it didn't really work to to bring someone in who who was sort of looking like a continuation from the previous manager. It maybe needed someone completely different to, to shake things up in the short term to try and get the team to... Um, well, United were maintaining the level because they were champions. With Arsenal, mm. like we've said, it's a, it's a slightly different scenario. But I do think that United would have benefited at that time from someone completely different. Um, and whether the same is with Arsenal, you know, we'll have to wait and see if Arteta's, if Arteta becomes the choice. GSS says, why hasn't Spalletti been mentioned to take over at Arsenal? Taking two teams to Champions League in the last two years, coaches and improves lesser players would make a good transition manager for Arsenal. I know with my lot at Spurs, Spalletti, I think, was mentioned uh, before Poch. Um, Sash, is he the, the kind of manager you'd take in or do you go the, the good young coach route in Arteta? Uh, to be honest, I think if, if you say someone like Spalletti, it's in, in what universe was he ever related to football in England? It's like I haven't heard him mention England in any way. I haven't heard England mention connection with him in, to, to him in any way. I think he has done a very good job before that in Russia as well. And obviously he did well with Roma and now, now with Inter. He just got them into the Champions League. I'm pretty sure we're going to get on, onto that later. But... You know, sometimes you can't just take a manager and just drop him into the Premier League. When what, what did Conte have to do with England, though? True, um, true. Uh, but Conte, I suppose. Mm. No, I think if you look at Spalletti, he did manage the two big clubs. I think, yeah, you could say Inter was on par with Arsenal. Uh, was Conte conversations about Conte and England were they happening before he came, or did were they not? Probably they were, weren't they? I think as well, he'd, he'd won trophies, hadn't yeah. he? Uh, because, yeah, because I think this is one thing I think with Spalletti. Spalletti is sort of the Neely man. Hmm. Did he win anything in, in Italy since returning? Not since coming back. Not since no. coming back, no. I mean, it's worth pointing out that I think if Arsenal had planned this succession better over the last few years, then maybe it would have been Guardiola at Arsenal. I mean, he was always quite suited to them. He always spoke about Arsenal in a positive way, you know, play good football, got a nice stadium, always tried to bring three youth players, um, wanted to come to England the the uh, the salary that they pay their manager has been absolutely huge over the last mm. few years, which I'm sure Guardiola would have liked. Um, so in a way, they're getting not second best because I think Arteta could be a very good manager. But I think it's worth remembering that Arsenal maybe could have played this a bit better. Mentioning City, Mr. Pellegrini being rolled into West Ham possibly as as we speak. Great fit for West Ham, right? If you look at social media, there are no West Ham fans complaining about this apart from everyone. Yeah. Um... Pellegrini, um, how do I put this? Um, Pellegrini was a very straight-laced manager whose press conferences were not always that entertaining. Um, I think... Does that matter? No, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make the point of, of the perception of, of, of what he's like. Um, and we'd sit in a, in a press conference before the manager came in a press conference room and talk about the ways in which we were going to approach issues uh, the way in which we would um, pose certain questions and I think pretty much if you'd written a manual of all the different ways in which you could ask a question to a manager I think in in all the time he is the only manager who responded to absolutely none of them he never ever and, and actually that was something I ended up admiring because the guy was like you could ask him anything and pose it however you wanted, but he would still end up saying exactly what he wanted to say. Even if it was like really weird to, to answer the question in the way in which he did, he would still come out with the same thing. And then, so you build up this idea of the way he was, and then all of a sudden, he stood up at the end, so we've gone through a full 20 minute, um, I think it was before Leicester, Leicester at home for City, I think the fixture was, gone through a, a full sort of 10 minute uh, pre-embargo press conference, all the broadcasts, so television, radios, agencies and things like that, they'd all ask their questions. Nothing had really been said, no no sort of nuggets from it. Then we went into the, the newspaper section, another 10-15 minute section. Again, every which way you could imagine people were asking different types of questions. None of them were, were answered. And then just as he was about to sort of get up from his seat, he just sort of said, um, and it was in sort of slightly broken English, just just to just to um just to let you know um 
my contract. Uh, we we had a, an extension. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna do the extension now. So uh, so I'll leave at the end of the season. Thank you. Bye. And gets up to go and we're, and like, whoa whoa and sort of stopped him leaving the room because you're not asleep, are you? But you sort of maybe switched off a little bit because it's it's gone on and on and on. And suddenly this absolute bombshell gets dropped at the end. Um, well, you're leaving at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, I leave at the end of the season. I had a contract. We extended it, but we're not taking up the option on the contract now. So I leave at the end of the season, and he was gone. And we were all like, "What happened there?" You know, we'd sat through all this press conference like it'd been every week for three years. We'd sat through more or less the same press conference, and all of a sudden, this happened. So we left the room, and he was still sort of, you know, we're in shock almost at, at what had just been said. And we got handed a piece of paper. So at City's um, training ground, you sort of walk down steps to where the working area is. So walking down the steps, no one's looked at this piece of paper because they all just presumed it was a press release confirming that Pellegrini uh, was leaving. And then we get to like the bottom of the steps, and someone said, "This paper says that Guardiola's coming." Does it? And we all looked up. <laughs> Oh yeah, it says that Guardiola's coming, and all of a sudden it was like absolute mayhem. Everyone's on the phone to, you know, the producers and uh, their editors and whatever else to discuss how they're going to approach this story. But it was so bizarre because we'd just gone from this sort of quite serene, still lake of a press conference that mm. we'd sort of seen time and time again, week after week over three years, until into absolute chaos, basically. Serene, still lake. He's perfect then for West Ham. Well, I think this is the problem. I mean, I'm generally not too interested with the manager's demeanour and what they say in in press conferences and and things like that. But the mood at West Ham is so bad at the moment that I do think they need someone to come in and be a little bit, I'm not saying get him, but almost be a bit Carlos Carvajal and just say say a bit of nonsense and get people fired up and G'd up. Because because Pellegrini, let's remember, has won the Premier League. He's got to Champions League semi-final. So West Ham are punching above their weight by getting a manager of that calibre in. But he'd be walking to a club where, if it's true this week, then James Collins has been dumped by email after, what, 11 years in two spells at at the club? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know how much that... It it does sound quite poor, but I'm not sure how much it matters. You know, he's a good manager, Pellegrini, gets his side playing good football, and they have some very talented attacking players. You know, if he can get uh, Arnautovic and João Mario and Lanzini playing. I mean, they're Pellegrini players. Yeah. He worked with players like that at City, at Villarreal. He could do a really good job with them. From, from what Ian just described, uh, Pellegrini will arrive and just Teflon everything. Just wouldn't take anything on and just do his job. All this emotion, well, they can just get on with it. Watch out for pieces of paper. Uh, quick mention, speaking of emotion, Darren Moore holding his first press conference as we speak. So well done to him at West Brom. That sounded a bit condescending. Didn't mean it to, I think, I hope, he'll get them straight back up. Let's move on. Uh, have a little break, shall we? Everyone needs a break after that epic story, which I very much enjoyed. Listeners, starting up the Totally Football Show was a hairy business. Fortunately, Cornerstone have been with us every step of the way. Why? Because they're in the business of making hairy things smooth, like your face. Cornerstone's award-winning blades will give you the smoothest shave possible, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see the range for yourself, get £10 off your first order and have it delivered right to your door. And you'll find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. To Europe we head, fine ones and all, in the company of Ian, Sasha and Michael. Who wants to go where? I want to go to Portugal. Go on then. I do too. Lisbon's lovely this time of year. Yeah, it's look, <laughs> look at the weather. Um, but everything is not so lovely as sporting Lisbon. So a few days after the players get batted uh, by the fans, um, not without encouragement from the chairman, which is bizarre, um, <laughs> Uh, they come to play a uh, cup final against a team that's, I think, 13th in the league, uh, Avish. Uh, only stayed up for the first time in their history. They used to go up and go straight back down. So Sporting are heavy favourites. Bas Dos comes on with his head bandaged. And they proceed to lose 2-1 uh, with fans work, uh, walking out after Avish go 2-0 up. Um, Bas Dos does a good impression of Ronnie Rosenthal by uh, missing an open goal from four yards, hitting the back. He was trying to side for it and it sort of hit him on the ankle. Uh, they do get a get late goal, um, but still, Avish win the first piece of silverware ever. Their captain and the goalkeeper is, uh, remember, a guy called Kim, spelled Q-U-I-M, uh, who played for Portugal back in the day. He's 42. Um, and he led them to this victory. He played very, very well. And uh, yeah, so hats off to Avish and Sporting. What an absolute mess. Well, I mean, you've gone from one old keeper to another. Should we do Buffon next? Because it was time to say goodbye. Gianluigi Buffon! 
the emotional scenes. There was a, a giant banner, Michael, with a half-naked Buffon on it. It had everything, this, and tears. Yeah, I mean, incredible career. I mean, 2001, he joined. I remember thinking £32 million pounds at that at that point was a huge amount of money. I think it was the... the well, it was certainly the most expensive goalkeeper ever, but I think the previous one had been about £12 million or something. It broke the goalkeeping record by... Twenty million pounds. It stayed until last summer as well. Didn't yeah. it? Edison was the only one who broke it. But so. seventeen years on, you got to say that's tremendous value for money. The goalkeeper stuck with him when they went to Serie B, of course, came back up. I do think the farewell was slightly tinged because they don't know where he's going. Mm. They thought that he was going to be retiring from football, and it's up for grabs now. Who knows where he might end up? He could end up anyway. He could end up at one of their rivals. So it was, you know, a good send off for him. Could he end up here in the Premier League? I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if anyone took him on. I'm not sure anyone needs a goalkeeper. Maybe Arsenal, but I'm not sure they'd want a goalkeeper of that age. Um, So, no, I I feel like he could stay in Italy or maybe he'll go to America or somewhere like that. But I think it's they've been slightly cautious with the goodbye because I don't know where he's off to. Anyone got a hunch? Buffon probably isn't heading to Inter. Uh, Inter, who just beat Lazio 3-2 to qualify for the Champions League. I totally crazy game to be honest Lazio could have scored six goals in the first half but they came up against Handanovic who I thought had an absolutely superb game brilliant saves uh, out brilliantly and uh, I think the keepers really made a difference in this game uh, because whilst Handanovic kept Inter in it I think Strakosha uh, could have done better on at least two of the Inter goals and of course the scenes at the end when Vecino gets the winner from the corner everyone runs everywhere just overwhelming emotion um, but I think how good are you if you're Lazio at the moment given how they, well they've played all season given how many chances they had in this um, uh, in this game and to miss out in the Champions League while well, Roma qualify as well it's um, very very disappointing I think they had they blew a four point lead in the last three games um, so feel for Lazio but congratulations to Inter it was crazily brilliant yeah, and I think we have to talk about Stefan de Vrij, of course, who was, uh, you know, it was a difficult decision for Inzaghi whether to play him or not. De Vrij hasn't officially signed for Inter next year, but is going there. And of course, he was the one who gave away the, the crucial penalty, really, for Inter to get back into the game and make it 2 all. Um, so I, I dare say he'll be uh, hiring some extra security <laughs> for his house this weekend. Um, but then Lazio, I thought, completely lost their heads. I mean, the substitution was odd. They took off uh, Immobile. Uh, which was funny because then when Icardi scored the penalty, it meant that Immobile was no longer the outright Capocanieri, the top goal scorer. And then Lazio ended up just playing rubbish long balls for the last 10 minutes. I can't understand why teams just completely throw their game plan out the window. I mean, I know you've got to play more direct. You can't be holding the ball in midfield, but just hoofing the ball aimlessly towards the goal is just never works, does it? But you saw the heads went against Salzburg when they conceded three goals in five minutes. So I think this team maybe is a little bit fragile. And I thought it was impressive, actually, that Inter didn't, uh, when Inter went 3-2 up, they didn't just sit back and defend. They actually continued pressing Lazio and their defenders were just panicked and, and... Like I say, they just really lost their heads. Yeah, it was almost like an FA Cup final. Uh, one quick word <laughs> on Mr Buffon's first club, Palmer, heading back to the top flight. Three years after they went bankrupt, they finished second on, on goal difference. They, uh, it was a last minute, I think, equalised by Foggia at uh, Frosinone that actually allowed Palmer to go up with a 2-0 win at Spezia. I was actually quite interested to see that uh, for Spezia, one Alberto Gilardino missed a penalty at 1-0. Um, and of course then Palmer went on to win 2-0. But uh, I think it's brilliant. I think for anyone who grew up in the 90s watching that Italian football, Palmer, you know, Palmer were Italian football. So it's uh, for me, it's good to see them to be back, that they're back. And on that point, uh, Jimbo and Horncastle Golazzo. Perfect one on Palmer if you haven't listened to it now worth a listen Sasha was sticking his hand up so yes I agree with you first time for everything and they'll bring you a special Serie A season review that'll be out on Thursday morning too from all the good places let's rattle like a speeding train through France and Spain and we mentioned tears for Buffon tears for Iniesta yeah he had quite a grand farewell didn't he Um, which I'm not sure he would have completely appreciated he's a very modest humble guy Uh, but there's some great shots as well um, of him sitting alone at the Camp Nou at about 2am barefoot just looking at the stadium last night which was quite nice I mean that's situ- all of us that's how we do it wouldn't we oh pretty much with yeah. a bottle in hand yeah and I think that kind of sums up what he's all about the fact he was staying out there with 100,000 people having gone home and he still wanted to take it in again a slightly funny situation because he's still a great player in Iniesta he's going to Spain as, as one of their key players um, and yet we'll be going it seems to China or 
that might be off. There was talk of Japan. There's been talk of Qatar. So we don't know where he's going either. I mean, he's still got the talent to play at a very high level. So we'll have to see what happens with him. Uh, Torres with a brace on his last appearance. When we speak about last appearances, Atleti winning 2-1, confirming the second spot in La Liga. There's also been, they've also been linked with Jamie Vardy too. Do you see that link this week? Nope. Yeah. I think that really suits them. I mean, mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vardy's, I mean, there's an argument he's probably too similar to Diego Costa, I think. But in terms of someone who's just going to, sprint ferociously into the channels onto long balls in behind. Costa and Vardy would mess with your minds though, wouldn't they? I wouldn't want to play against them. Maybe your bodies too. I mean, it, it, it would suit him tactically, whether it would suit him culturally, I'm not sure. But uh, I'd, like I, I'd love to find out. I'd, I'd, I'd love like to, to see Vardy against like cynical Spanish defenders. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> I'd like to see more English players make those type yeah. of moves, to be honest. Uh, you sort of look around uh, the squad for the World Cup and uh, again... You know, in terms of a, a foreign influence on on that squad, where the players have been and and so on, you, I always think I'd like to see more of that. I can understand why players don't, but um, yeah, I think that'd be a fascinating transfer. And actually, in terms of a like, like we've just been saying, a tactical sort of uh, fit, I think I think it would work. Yeah, as long as he's got the the movie crew with him too, all ends the the Hollywood romance, doesn't it? With Vardy turning What's up in Spanish Spain? for party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jamie Vardy's having a fiesta doesn't quite work the a same, fiesta. does it? He probably used it's probably to probably his first car, yeah. A fiesta. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the old ones are the best ones. Uh, Jamie Vardy then possibly to Spain, maybe not. There, were, there was some talk that Jack Wilshere would end up in France with PSG, although the Arteta thing has kind of shaken that all on its head. The race was second. Uh, we've been saying for the past few weeks that they were just three points between Monaco in second and Marseille in fourth. They both won, and so did third place Lyon on the final day. So... It's kind of as you were with the Champions League spots. In the French Women's League, Lyon, by drawing at PSG, dropped the first points of the season in the 21st game. Um, so as their preparation for the Champions League final in uh, Kiev, it's not a little bit of a downer, but basically they dominated that league so much that they maybe not win one or two games a season. They've had three perfect seasons, 22 wins out of 22. And to be honest, I don't think there is really an equivalent in the male game where a team dominates so much. They've mm. won the last 12 titles, uh, last six cups, four Champions Leagues in seven years. Every time they go out to something, it feels like a little bit weird. And this season, I mean, if people want to tune in on Thursday, uh, keep an eye out for Ada Hedeberg. She's 22. She scored 30 goals in 18 league games this season and 14 and 18 in the Women's Champions League. And basically, Lyon are just a wonderful team to watch. And they, I mean, they've got a great collection of stars like Abili, obviously Hedeberg, Tomis, Renard and Le Sommer. And I think... Um, they are probably destined to win the third consecutive Champions League final. And that's why Lucy Bronze from Manchester City, why she made the move there to to get that elusive Champions League. There was also a moment for Chelsea's women this week. They went invincible too in in their season with their coach Emma Hayes giving birth to a a baby boy, uh, winning the double. (laughs) She's she's had a bit of everything this week. Um, She did manage to find time to tweet the team to say well done as well. And I thought just, you know, have a relaxing weekend. Forget about everything for a moment. You've done your job. You mentioned Kiev, Sash. Of course, the Champions League final, you're off there, aren't you? Yeah. All sorted? Yeah, all sorted. Airbnb? Uh, no, I'm uh, staying at a um, Ukrainian Liverpool fan's place. I mean, this is what basically the locals had to resort to because the hotel prices um, went through the roof like I've never seen before. And it's it's interesting because obviously majority of um, Kiev hotels and Airbnbs and whatever, they obviously had absolutely no idea that there's Champions League final on. And then once they realised after Liverpool qualified, they went, right, let's up the prices 25, 30 times, 40 times. It's been absolutely absurd. They've been cancelling bookings on um, through various websites for a variety of different excuses. If you just give me one minute. So there is no electricity and water for dates indicated. The hotel was sold. Error in booking system. Uh, we had a virus attack. Our apartment was re- uh, reserved on a different website. I'll have a new cost, so you have to pay it. Uh, simply cancelled. Um, we uh, they put up the price without informing the traveller. Massive overbooking due to a virus attack. And the final one is the police temporarily restricted the work of the hotel. Hmm. So uh, have they been to Southampton School of writing a response on TripAdvisor? Maybe they should. Have <laughs> it's, it's just it's been absolutely extraordinary. And the thing is, it's it actually uh, spurred the locals into action because they were so embarrassed. Um, and one of the guys just set up a page on Facebook saying, "Look." If you can host any Liverpool or Real fans, you know, right on here and, you know, see what it happens. And I think the page now has, I think, over 7,000 members and people 
have been, you know, sorting out their accommodation. I mean, obviously, we'll see what the feedback's like after people turn up. But mm. it looks like basically the locals have really banded together and said, look, let's not get to him. Let, let's not embarrass, you know, the city of Kiev effectively. Let's show that we're really great hosts. Um, however, you saw that Real Madrid have returned 2,000 tickets. Well, they didn't take them up. The guys who got them on the ballot because it's basically very difficult to get to Kiev. Now, I mean, I, I've read sort of various sort of comments Oh, why is it in Kiev? It's so far away. How do we get there? Nothing is nearby. But, I mean, with these types of events, I mean, they have hosted Euro 2012. Uh, I know it's different dynamic in terms of fans arriving and, you know, they don't have like tens of thousands of people just turning up for the one weekend. You know, they have hosted like international tournaments there before. And to be honest, when it comes to the traveling support, you know, um, I knew that I'm going to have to book something probably midway through the semi-final because mm. of how these things work. You know, if you look back to say, Istanbul and Athens. Um, Athens, 2007, within 15 minutes of Dirk converting the penalty, you couldn't really get flights to Athens, so we had to fly away to Thessaloniki. Istanbul, within a day, you know, if you fly for three days, it would have cost you like six or 700 quid. So we flew for a week, and it cost us 250. So it's, I mean, there is ways around it. There is certain different dynamics, and I think, you know, people have worked out all these mad routes and, and stuff like that, but, you know, if the hotels weren't being so ridiculous with the prices, I think the perception would have been slightly different. And in terms of travel, with these types of events, you just have to get on it straight away. If anyone else thought that Sasha's travelogue had taken up our preview time for the Champions League final, you'd be right. But luckily, we have Thursday's show to discuss Liverpool-Real Madrid. That's the football done and the travel. Time to get the odds from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you very much, Caroline. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's a lovely sunny day out there. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. All the better from hearing from you. Well, thank you very much, Lee. Uh, did you enjoy the cup final? No, did you? <laughs> no, I did not. But someone who I think did was Eden Hazard, because he scored the winner. However, is he going to be on his way out of Chelsea like we expect Conte to be as well? Yeah, I think this is a really real possibility, uh, real chosen for obvious reasons there. Uh, it's a World Cup year, Hazard started playing football again. We're very short on this. We're just five to four that he leaves Chelsea this summer. Uh, I can see it happening. All right, well, let's talk about um, a couple of other managerial things that are going on because Lord knows there's no football uh, until we speak on Thursday. It looks like Pellegrini's in at West Ham. You stopped taking bets on that, but what about uh, Everton? What's going on there? A similar sort of direction. Marco Silva is now 1-3 to three, uh, to be the new Everton manager. We expect that this week, although there has been a slight surge with a new man arriving to third favourite position, a certain Mr Moyes, which would be my favourite thing to happen for years if that actually happened, but it looks like Marco Silva. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Uh, but maybe maybe he fancies the uh, the Arsenal job. <laughs> Our bookies don't fancy him for that one, sadly. Uh, that's looking even more certain. That's one to six with Mikel Arteta. Uh, there has been a move on Unai Emery, weirdly, into second favourite at seven to two. Uh, but Arteta, we think, this week. Uh, and then I don't know what we'll talk about next week, Ben, because the manager jobs will be gone. Well, uh, one job that certainly has gone is the West Brom job. They've uh, they've done a sensible thing and given it to Darren Moore. Does that uh, does that have any impact on their odds of bouncing straight back up? Yeah, it does slightly, um, and it is the right decision. But I worry that fairy tales don't happen in the real world. So it's two to one they'll bounce straight back. However, it'll be a very similar price that he gets the chop before Christmas and someone like Big Sam's installed instead. Ouch. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com, 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, Michael, if you enjoyed that witty repartee with Sash there, you've got more of that this week in a big football game. Yes. Well, we've got a long train journey up to Manchester. And then, uh, yeah, Sash has organised a big, a big football game for us to play. Is it? Well, it's, it's a football match at Old Trafford. Uh, we're playing... Uh, oh, I mean, sorry, just a football match at Old Trafford. <laughs> we're playing tomorrow afternoon. Um, it's, um, it's, it's a football match between sort of Russian and English journalists organised by Aeroflot. They do this at the end of every season and I basically managed to wriggle my way on this year and uh, you know bring a few people along. Uh, so tomorrow morning we're going to go down to Carrington, have a little training session um, and then go up to Old Trafford uh, for a, I think it's, it's a 60-minute match. Um, there's 15 of us in the squad. I think our manager is Andy Cole. 
So, you know, it'd be good to okay. see him. Um, so quite looking forward to it. Haven't played at Old Trafford before. Basically, I've given up waiting for an invite to Anfield, so I'm just going to go. go <laughs> you know. At the Totally Show, if you want to invite Sash to play at Anfield. Also, for some of your many comments, thank you to everyone that sent them in. Jonathan says a shout-out to Thatcham for a 41 unbeaten run capped by an FA Vars win. The score of Shane Cooper-Clark scored his 62nd goal of the season. If this was Man City or Salah, we would hear a lot more about it. So well done to Shane Cooper-Clark. <laughs> And well done to Thatcher and well done to Bratley beating Bromley on penalties too. Enjoyed both of those, the Vars and the Trophy, which I've mentioned before. Tom says, which World Cup group are you most excited about? Easy for me, Group H. England. Well, yeah, that too. But Group H is the one that England will face uh, with Colombia, Japan, Poland or Senegal. The Lions of Taranga. Anyone else with a quick group mention? Uh, I like Portugal, Spain, Iran, Morocco. I think Morocco are a good side. That's probably, well... It's the worst draw they could have got, but they are actually a decent side of Morocco, so I think it could be an entertaining group. Yeah, that top trumps me, Sash. I quite like uh, Group C, France, Australia, Peru, Denmark. That's the one for me. And Ian sticking with England. Yeah. Good. Uh, my thanks to Ian Irvin, to Sasha Gorinov and to Michael Cox. That full Champions League preview is on Thursday. And if you like football with a football league bent, then tune in on Tuesday when we'll be talking all things football league and the totally football league show that's with ian mcintosh and the team thanks for all your company as well follow us at the totally show goodbye the totally football show is a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddykneesmedia.com gentlemen are you feeling a bit crap well you're not alone everyone does at some point But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and, of course, football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration.